Welcome to Reading in the Attic, a podcast featuring old and new fiction with a retro feel. My name is Camille LeGuire, and I'm literally reading these stories to you from my attic. So pull up a dusty chair and settle in. This is the last episode of Harsh Climate. Last week, Denver finally got the attention of the police, in the form of Vicky's father. But they're still a country mile away. Vicky is tied hand and foot with duct tape, but she has a nail and is trying to work herself free. But the boss isn't going to wait around for Kevin to be rescued. He intends to kill the kid now. They came back into the living room fast and the boss raised his gun without even hesitating. There was no time to be elegant. Even with her feet tied together, Vicky could kick high. She rolled onto her back and kicked up her bound feet, right up over her head, nearly going over in a backward somersault. The gun flew out of the boss's hand and slid under the couch. Vicky continued her roll into the boss's legs and bowled him over. Sly, however, saw where the gun went and tried to reach under the couch. He couldn't reach it. He got up to pull the couch away from the wall. Kevin slinked off toward the kitchen. Good kid. Vicky gave the boss an extra hard kick to distract him and then hurled herself into the couch. Keep them watching her and then keep them from getting the gun. They didn't seem to have another one. Sly kept pulling at the couch as Vicky pushed back, and the boss grabbed at her feet. She kicked at his face and he stumbled back against the side table where the phone and the electronics were. The phone fell off the table. The boss looked down at it, then up at Sly and Vicky. He grabbed up the phone and then quietly slipped off toward the kitchen. Vicky tried to launch herself after him, but Sly pulled the couch back. He reached for the gun. It still seemed out of reach. Your boss just took off with the phone, she screamed at him. You're screwed. Sly turned to look, and Vicky flopped back on the couch and kicked her feet up over her head again. He was just turning back, and her boots connected with his nose. He went down and stayed there, though he moved and moaned a little bit. Vicky rolled off the couch and hopped to where she had dropped the nail. She jabbed at the tape and ripped her feet free. She ran for the kitchen. Sly staggered to his feet and followed, his nose pouring with blood. She was halfway across the kitchen floor when he grabbed her arm. He was bigger than she was, and she couldn't get away, but her momentum dragged them closer to the counter. She reached and got her free hand on the soup pot. She swung it around and smacked him again good and hard, spilling soup across his bloody face. He yelled and went down again, holding his face and moaning. She raced out the door, still holding the pan. She was sure the boss must have caught up with Kevin but by God, she was going to stop him. If the police were on the back road, then there was a shot at stopping these guys. The gunshot did get the attention of the cop. Denver stuck the gun back in his pocket and ran flat out, hoping that the presence of the cop car would scare off any bad guys behind him. As he got closer, he saw that the trooper was Mr. Blur, Vicky's father. Oh, man. 
Denver stumbled down the edge of the ditch and jumped across, getting his feet wet, but he didn't care. He almost fell backward into the ice and water, but Blur grabbed his arm. Where's my daughter? roared the trooper. She's back at the house, gasped Denver, out of breath in the cold, dry air. She's with the kid, the kidnapped kid. She's she's hiding him. They're going to kill him, and they've got guns, and... She's taken on guys with guns, said Blur. She's hiding, avoiding them. She's good at that. No, she isn't, said Blur. He keyed his radio and started talking to dispatch, but paused to ask, How many of them are there? Three. Three men, said Denver. Although I think one of them is kind of frozen right now. Three male suspects, relayed Blur, armed and possibly frozen. When Denver had shot off the gun, C.J. didn't care. He only cared to get the gas off his body. It didn't matter that it was floundering in freezing water. He threw off his coat and his jacket and shirt, and he splashed the water on his head to get the gas out of his hair. He was not stupid. He knew that he had to get warm, and that there was a fire right up above him. He just couldn't be flammable when he climbed up there. He splashed the icy water on himself and felt only rage as his skin went numb. He pulled himself up the bank and went to stand by the fire. It was blisteringly hot, and yet the side of him that was away from the fire was numbingly cold. The rage passed out of him as he slowly turned. He felt very much alive. If only he could have roasted that guy who stole his gas, C.J. would be happy. The boss would not be happy, but C.J. didn't care. There were things that were more important than making the boss happy. Being alive was one of these. He would make the boss happy again later. The boss had Kevin by the arm. Kevin was trying to drag his feet, to do anything to slow things down or get away, but the man ignored him. He just dragged him to the car, glanced around, then opened the driver's side door. He threw Kevin in and pushed him across the seat to get in himself. Kevin scrambled across to lean against the passenger door, and then tried to pull on the latch, but the boss hit the lock button. Kevin hit his own unlock button and tried again. The boss reached over and grabbed Kevin's hands. He squeezed hard and Kevin thought his fingers would break. I will hurt you, he hissed. Got it? The man's face was twisted with rage. Kevin recoiled. My dad will pay you to let me go, he said. Your dad's as good as dead, said the boss. He held on to Kevin's hands with one hand while he reached for the seatbelt with the other. He buckled Kevin in. Sit still. He started the car with a roar. Kevin hit the unlock button while it was making noise, just in case. The car took off so fast it spit gravel, and then the car sputtered and died. The boss hit the gas and tried starting it again, but the car wouldn't start. Shit, he said. Your freaking friend siphoned my gas. He pounded the steering wheel. Kevin unbuckled his seatbelt and threw himself at the door. He just got it unlatched when the boss hauled him back. Time's up, kid. If I gotta run, I don't want you dragging along. Kevin flailed at the door, but the boss flattened him against the seat with his elbow while he reached into the glove compartment and pulled out a large folding knife. Kevin started punching at him. 
It didn't help much, but the boss was having trouble getting the knife open. And then suddenly, crack. Something slammed into the driver's side window. The boss flinched and twisted, flattening Kevin against the passenger door with his weight. The safety glass of the window had not given way under whatever struck it, though it was completely clouded with cracks. Wham! A chunk of window fell. Wham! And the whole window gave way. It was Vicky. She was pounding at the window with a soup pot. You let go of that kid and step out of the car, sir, she said, her voice rough with anger. Kevin managed to get the passenger door unlatched and pushed it open. He fell right out onto the gravel of the driveway. The boss fell partway out, too. Kevin rolled out of reach and scrambled to his feet. The boss had rolled out of the car himself. Kevin glanced at Vicky. She was on the other side of the car, the other side of the boss, too far away. Kevin turned and ran blindly away down the driveway. Too late, he saw Sly right in front of him. Sly was also headed down the driveway, toward the SUV, which was parked close to the end. Sly, grab the kid, yelled the boss. The man turned and squinted at Kevin. His face and shirt were covered in blood, and he snorted red from his nose like a demon. Kevin stopped and scrambled backward. Sly hesitated. Somewhere in the distance, they could all hear a siren. Not anywhere close yet. Kevin scrambled sideways toward the house, away from Sly, away from the boss. The boss yelled again, Grab him! Vicky slammed the pan into the hood of the car, which caused everyone to jump and look at her. Don't you dare, she yelled, and she scrambled over the top of the car, waving the pan in the air. Sly turned and ran straight for the SUV. Just then, the boss grabbed Kevin by the back of the neck. Kevin yelled and tried to wiggle away. You let go of him, yelled Vicky, and she jumped on the boss's back. Kevin wiggled loose and stumbled blindly away from all of them. Vicky couldn't tell where the distant siren was coming from, or if it would come to the house, or if it was just looking for the smoke. It might take a while, and in the meantime, she needed to keep Kevin safe. She'd lost her grip on the pan when she climbed over the car, but she was not going to let go of the boss. He staggered and wheeled around, nearly throwing her off. She grabbed at his coat as the momentum pulled her away and nearly pulled it off of him. He shook and yanked at his coat. She yanked back and then felt something in the pocket. The phone! She plunged her hand into the pocket, just as the boss flung her off. He turned to Kevin, who had run himself into a corner at the front of the house, where the porch met the wall. The boss headed straight for him, arms wide to block his escape in any direction. I've got the phone, called Vicky. The boss paused to check his pocket, and Vicky held it up where he could see. Kevin started to slip off to the left, but the boss jumped at him. No point in killing him without it, said Vicky. I'll get you next, said the boss, and he kept after Kevin. Kevin scrambled away just out of reach, but the side of the house blocked him from getting away quickly. I'll smash it, you jerk, cried Vicky. You can't blackmail anybody without it. Kevin tripped. The boss jumped toward him. Vicky launched herself into a flat-out run to intercept. But the boss was not really after Kevin. It was a trick. 
He knew she'd come to him, and he quick turned and grabbed her arm as she flew at him. It was too late to change direction, so she pushed harder and dove and let her momentum carry her under his grasp and passed. She rolled and kicked at him before getting to her feet again. Kevin was easing further away, toward the back of the house. If Vicky could just distract the boss a little longer, Kevin could get away, and the boss would either have to run or the police would get here and catch him. You want it? she said. She danced back and showed him that she still had the phone. Kevin slipped around the corner of the house and out of sight. You don't know who you're messing with, said the boss. Speak for yourself, jerk face, said Vicky. It worked. The boss went after Vicky. She danced back, dodging a bit from side to side, circling away from the house and away from where Kevin went. The boss was not amused. His head was down and he just kept coming, straight on. He wasn't falling for her dodges. He seemed coil and ready if she went in any particular direction. She decided it was time to run at last. She leapt back a little more quickly, just to give herself a little more escape room. Then she turned to sprint away. But she'd misjudged where she was, and she ran straight into the open door of the car. She bounced off the hard metal, stunned. The boss leapt. No time to scramble around one way or the other, so Vicky did the one thing she was always good at. She used the door as a launcher, and she leapt straight up onto the roof of the car. Her boots dented the roof with a loud thunk, and she did a clumsy pirouette. She stomped at the boss's hands as he grabbed for her, then stood at the far side of the roof, just out of reach of the man's grasp. He glared at her and seemed to be breathing a little harder after all that scrambling around. Out of breath, old man, said Vicky, and she grinned. I'm not. Twelve years of ballet will do that for you. Then she took a graceful leap off the top of the car, leaving him on the other side. She dashed away back toward the shed and the brambles, and he scrambled to catch up, but by now she was far ahead. She glanced back to grin at him and maybe taunt to be sure he didn't change his mind and start looking for Kevin. But as she turned, she saw a sight that stopped her cold. Kevin was off behind the house, far back so she hadn't noticed at first. And right behind him was C.J., The state police car raced around the corner. The SUV was coming out of a driveway just ahead. That's them, said Denver. The SUV turned wide, like the driver didn't have it fully under control. Trooper Blur pulled in front of it, and the SUV swerved into a ditch. Blur was out of the driver's seat instantly, weapon drawn. He kept the police car between himself and the SUV. Out of the car, he shouted. Sly got out slowly, sheepishly, hands in the air. His face and clothes were bloody, which explained why he hadn't been in full control of the SUV. Blur shouted instructions to him. There didn't seem to be anybody else in the SUV, but Blur was not taking any chances as he focused on Sly. He could probably use backup, but there were no other cops there yet. No sound of sirens yet and there were two bad guys down, and they didn't know where Vicky and the kid were. Denver looked at the gun on the seat beside him, the one he had got from CJ. He knew it was empty. Blur had taken it and checked it when he'd got into the car. Denver picked it up and put it in his pocket, and got out of the car. Hey, 
said the cop. Stay put. Blur had slid down on the ground and was in the act of cuffing him. He was too busy to deal with Denver, so Denver left him to it and headed up the driveway. No, screamed Vicky. CJ stood behind Kevin, shirtless and shivering and angry. His skin was almost gray from cold, where it wasn't bright red as though sunburned. He looked ten times as creepy as before, and he had Kevin by the back of the neck, and he had a knife. Vicky swerved toward him, running flat out, but that took her into the path of the boss. He thundered into her and grabbed her arm. Kill the kid, he shouted to CJ. Fast! Vicky pulled toward CJ and Kevin, dragging the boss along with her and still screaming, No! The boss had a good grip on her arm and swung her to the ground, just in front of CJ. CJ just stood there for a moment. He squinted at the boss. Give me your coat, he said. Come on, CJ, said the boss. Kill him and let's go. He had a hand on the phone and was too busy struggling with Vicky to notice CJ's tone. Vicky kicked him and held on with both hands. Give me your coat, said CJ again. Vicky pulled the phone away and threw it as far from her as she could. She rolled toward CJ and saw he wasn't holding the knife to Kevin's throat yet. He was still looking at the boss. We haven't got time, said the boss, and he shoved Vicky away and turned to look for the phone. CJ was shivering and watching the boss with a hard look in his eyes. Not that blank expression as usual. He was angry and miserable. He was going to run out on you, said Vicky. CJ looked down at her. CJ, said the boss, you wanted to kill them. So do it, now. CJ looked at his knife and then at Kevin. But Kevin had caught on to what Vicky had said. He pointed at the boss. He told the other guy that they would kill you and take the money, he said. They said to let you take the blame. That's crap, CJ, said the boss. I came back here to get you. Why is he running away from the car, then, said Vicky. Very faintly, in the distance, there was the sound of another siren. CJ didn't seem to care, but the boss glanced nervously off toward the road. The car's out of gas. Kill them and come on. We've got to go. How does he know it's out of gas, said Vicky. That did it. C.J. looked up at the car and saw the open doors. He let go of Kevin and turned on the boss. You tried to run already. No, no, said the boss quickly, raising his hands. C.J. kept advancing, so the boss quickly started to unbutton his coat. Look, here's the coat. Let's get out of here before the cops get here. He threw his coat at C.J. and turned to run. But at this moment, Denver showed up just around the corner of the house, waving a gun. Stop! Let them go! he shouted. The boss wheeled round and stopped at the sight of a gun. CJ didn't seem to care about the gun. He paused to put on the coat. Then he stepped past Vicky and grabbed the boss by the collar. Hey, stop! I said everybody stop, said Denver. Vicky grabbed Kevin and they scrambled toward Denver, who was sidling closer, waving the gun. Vicky ducked it as they got close. Watch it, she said. He looked at the gun and then lowered it. By now, CJ was hauling the boss out of sight, back beyond the brush toward the rising column of smoke and fire. It's empty, said Denver, but how do they know? 
Come on, let's get out of here, said Vicky. You okay? asked Denver. Are you? I'm good. The sirens had come to a stop somewhere in front of the house. They turned and headed that way, just as Vicky's father came running around the corner of the house. Dad? Are you all right? asked Blur. I'm fine, said Vicky. Then you get back there now. He herded them down the driveway, keeping watch behind them, until they came to an area where there were now several cop cars. There he paused and faced Vicky. What the hell were you doing? he demanded. Well, what the hell were you doing? replied Vicky. How did you find us? The smoke, he said. Your boyfriend's smarter than you might think. I mean, your non-boyfriend. They both glanced over at Denver, who was squatting beside Kevin and seemed to be working to keep the kid calm. He's not my non-boyfriend, said Vicky. He's pretty cool. Just then, a sheriff's deputy started directing his men around and pointed to them. Okay, the three of you, get back there behind the cars where you've got some protection. Several more police cars arrived. Vicky, Denver, and Kevin stood among them and described the two remaining bad guys and the layout and how they probably weren't armed, but there was still a gun in the house. Then the police moved in. An hour or so later, the yard around the old farmhouse was now completely filled with vehicles and activity. A fire truck was behind the house, its lights flashing across the shed and woods. An ambulance was not far behind it, and two EMTs and a cop were wheeling the boss on a gurney. He didn't look so slick now. He was wrapped in a foil blanket and not much more, and he shivered pathetically. Vicky and Kevin made their way around the scene, looking at the ground for the phone. Kevin pulled on the sleeve of a sheriff's deputy. Did you find a cell phone? Got it, said Vicky before the cop could answer. She glanced around and saw her father across the way with a pair of cops who were putting CJ into a police car. Kevin froze, so Vicky patted him on the shoulder. Stay here, she said, with this nice deputy. CJ was handcuffed and wore the boss's coat and a pair of pants that looked too small, but he still didn't look any less scary. Vicky waited until they had him in the car before coming close. Her dad and another cop were talking to a detective, or maybe an FBI agent. They were both shaking their heads in disbelief. I swear that big guy was trying to drown the naked guy, said the cop. Yeah, I was holding him under, said her dad. And then just as we came up, he hauled him out and dragged him toward the fire, like he was going to throw him in. He couldn't make up his mind, said the first cop. Vicky stepped up and held up the phone. This phone has important evidence on it, she said. They recorded the ransom call. You should listen to it. And you should call right away to tell them to get Kevin's stepmother away from his dad, because I would not trust her. The detective called to another guy, and they listened to what Vicky had to say about the phone call. She had to repeat it a couple of times and answer questions, but after a minute, they hurried off with the phone. And then her dad grabbed her by the arm and pulled her away. Is that what you were doing, he said? You went after a guy with a gun to get that phone? No, I went after a guy with a knife to get the phone to stop him from killing the kid, she said. He stared at her. She looked back at him in defiance. I had a soup pan. He wheeled away and started to stalk off, and then he came right back. 
And that's how you're going after this ballet school too, isn't it? You're just running right out there without thinking. Yeah, said Vicky, raising her chin. I am. You have to finish the school year first. I don't have to finish anything. I'm not going to sign the admission papers. I'll forge your signature. And I'm sure as hell not going to pay for it until you're out of high school. I'll... Vicky paused and realized what he'd just said. You wouldn't pay for it ever. Bull. Bull? Oh, come on. You would never... You never asked. You've been too busy with the I'm going to do this now and I'm going to save the world now. He stopped and looked at her like he had a migraine. Vicky, you can't do that by yourself. When are you going to learn that you need help to do anything worthwhile? You'd pay for it? If you've graduated from high school, it would be like college, wouldn't it? Vicky stared at her dad like he'd sprouted green wings. He glanced away, a little sheepish. Thank you, Dad, she said, a little sheepishly herself. He looked up at her and then pointed at the scene around them. Don't you ever do anything like this again, he said, gravely wagging a finger. I'll try not to. They headed off toward his cruiser. They passed Kevin and the detective, who was just hanging up on his cell phone. I told them, said the detective. Is my dad okay? asked Kevin. They said he's stable and that they would take good care of him. Judy stood shock still in the hospital hallway. That motherly nurse grinned at her and gripped her hand. I told you, said the nurse, I told you it would be all right. Ah, yes, said Judy absently. The kidnappers were caught, they said. They wouldn't talk, would they? It wouldn't be in their interest to talk. And if they said anything about her, well, it would be easy enough to claim they were lying. They were crooks. There was no proof. Are you going to go in and tell Peter? said the nurse. I, I can't, said Judy. I think I would excite him too much. Maybe you should. The nurse shook her head and patted her arm. Don't be silly. Leave me alone, said Judy. I, I need to go to the ladies' room. What was she to do? She started walking down the hall, and there at the end, just coming around the corner, was the FBI agent. He had a funny look on his face, and when he looked up and saw her, she could tell he knew. His eyes narrowed. His face went blank. But maybe he didn't have evidence. She forced a smile and kept walking, as if she were glad at the news and headed off on an important errand. But then he adjusted his coat like he was going to reach for something, his handcuffs. She turned to run, but it was too late. He leapt forward and grabbed her arm. Mrs. Anderson, will you come with me, please? Why? He glanced around the hall as others looked on with curiosity. Mrs. Judy Anderson, I arrest you on a charge of conspiracy and kidnapping, he said and he snapped the cuffs on one of her wrists and told her all about her rights. And then he whispered quietly to her, Don't worry, ma'am. We'll be very careful about how we break the news to your husband. Denver stood near Trooper Blur's cruiser, shivering a little. Now that the action was over, he was cold again. He saw Blur and Vicky headed his way, and they paused when they saw him. Listen, Poughkeepsie. Blur began. 
But then he stopped. I mean, whatever your name is. Um, said Vicky, looking sheepish. It's Clyde. I'm getting used to Denver, said Denver. Blur looked from one to the other of them, and then turned back to Denver. I've got a question for you, Denver. What do you see in my daughter? Denver looked at Vicky and saw she had turned pink and looked away. Stuff gets interesting when she's around, he said. Stuff, said Blur. You know, everything. Denver shrugged, and Blur just looked like he had a headache. Oh, crap, he said, and he pulled open the back door of the cruiser. You look cold, Poughkeepsie. I mean, Denver. Let's get some hot breakfast. Well, that was a lot different than having the door slammed in your face. Denver smiled and started to get in, but then he stopped and looked at Vicky. And for the record, I wasn't doing it for the gas money. For the record, said Vicky, you are my boyfriend. Oh, yeah? I mean, if you... She shrugged and let the words trail off. He grinned at her, and she half-smiled back. Get in the car, roared Blur, both of you. Damn kids. As I mentioned at the beginning of this series, I first wrote the story as a low-budget screenplay. I called it a junior diehard in a farmhouse. But as I read it to you, I realized that what I really wrote was more of a diehard meets Nancy Drew. I also came to realize that what I most enjoy about this story is something I never saw in a Nancy Drew, the loving but dysfunctional relationships among Vicki Denver and her father, and, for that matter, the dysfunctional and not-so-loving relationships among the bad guys. Vicki and her father, though, made a problem for recording. They're both yellers, and you can't yell into a microphone or the sound will distort. Next week, I'll be telling a story by Anton Chekhov, titled The Bet, It's about a man worrying over the upcoming consequences of a bet he made 15 years earlier. So that's it for this week. The story is Harsh Climate by Camille LaGuire. It's available in ebook form at Amazon, Apple's iBookstore, and other online booksellers. Theme and story music by the Royalty Free Music Company. Until next time, see you in the funny papers.